Segabits presents Sega Talk, a podcast talking all things with your hosts, George and Barry. Look, it's a giant talking egg. I'm not talking to you. I'm talking to the master Welcome to Sega Talk. I'm Barry. With me is George. Hello, everybody. And this is our tenth episode of talking about Sega games. It's uh, it's a pretty big milestone. Ten is a big number. So if you're just joining us because Jet Set Radio, oh, I, I spoiled it, is a pretty popular game. What we do is we we sit down, we chat about a game, we go through the development history, we talk about you know interesting factoids, we read quotes. You might learn something. I learn things, and uh, you know I'm helping hosting the show. So let's dive right into it. Yeah, Jet Set Radio. This is a big game for me just because you know we've done a lot of shows where we've covered games that I love. We've covered one game I really hate. I think you can look at the last nine episodes and figure out which one that is. But Jet Set Radio is without a doubt probably one of my favorite Sega games. Oh, and yeah. you, you could write about it and talk oh, about it forever. I have. And, you know, when I was doing the research for this, I was checking out our website, segabits.com. And it's, this is, I write about this more than anything else. Um, and it's just, and it's because it's such an interesting game. So let's, let's dive right into it. This was released to the Sega Dreamcast. It released June 29th, 2000 in Japan. It released November 1st, 2000 in America as Jet Grind Radio, and we'll, we'll explain why. And then it was released November 24th, so just a little bit later in that month, 2000 in Europe as Jet Set Radio. And I'm uh, still angry about that. They got the original name. Uh, so the development of the game. Jet Set, Jet Set Radio was initially conceived by a small team of three people at Sega's newly formed Smilebit which grew to a team of six and then eventually ballooned to 25 people with an average age of under 25. Uh, they basically were told by Sega to do whatever they wanted to do and the small team of 20-somethings did just that. So I guess our first talking point here is, you know, this era at Sega, we would see a diverse lineup of games. The Dreamcast was, uh, at least in Japan, it was in its second year. It was in its, uh, I guess you could say, first full year in America and you know there were a number of studios operating separately would you say that 2000 was Sega's most creative period uh yeah I mean I would say yes because I think if you look at the Sega Saturn lineup a lot of it was arcade ports and uh what arcade teams were doing this is the first time that Sega actually got like developers and put them together into small indie teams I get or indie sized teams and let them do what they want for the console, the Dreamcast. So the Dreamcast had a ton of these like artistic games, like Skies of Arcadia, mm -hmm. uh, Shinmu. Um, I mean, how, it had a ton of exclusives that were worth getting, and it was all because Sega let these teams do what they wanted to do. And Jet Set Radio is, I think, the most creative one out of all of these games. Oh, for sure. And I, I do know that some of them worked off-site. I don't remember off the top of my head, but some of them, you know, they'd find cool office space elsewhere in Japan. They'd be uh, inspired by the area around them. Yeah, I don't think they went too far from the corporate offices, but, you know, Sega of Japan intended to do this. They they had people go off, and I remember the when the news release came out, it was a little confusing, because it was like, 
Oh, there's all these companies now. They have names. Wait, are these guys like new to Sega? Or <laughs> do, yeah. you, do you remember when this this announcement came out? It wasn't, you know, back in the day, you know, gaming news online was nowhere near what it was now. Do you remember how you learned about this? Uh, magazines, I would say EGM or the official Dreamcast magazine. Um, they would do like these like articles about the teams and the names and. And it, I always found it really interesting because I really, really loved looking at, especially the Japanese side of things. Since we're from America, it's like I always, I always love seeing like, oh, what are they doing in Japan? Because all my favorite games growing up were from Japan, and I think the '90s were like the golden age of Japanese development. So they always w bring these like weird titles out. So I was always looking forward to the next game that was coming out, and like. I think at this period, Sega really defined that kind of like strange, colorful games, and yeah, I would always read about uh, Smilebit and like um, all the other teams that Sega had going on internally. Mm -hmm. And we we have some great articles written up on our site. There's a Sega retrospective series going decade by decade, so you can check that out on the site. Now. Um, this is just a, something I was curious. Do you think such a development environment could exist in 2017 at Sega? Do you think this is something they could do again? You know what? If you told me this 10 years ago, I would have probably said no. I think 10 years ago, we kind of had this whole like rise of AAA, like, AAA games. It was like, you're either AAA game or you're nothing, basically, uh, in the industry. And I think today, now, we have more people looking forward to indie games, where it's like these smaller teams they don't have to have triple a graphics but these people are passionate and they release a product that s touches people somewhere you know what i mean like uh somewhere like triple a games just don't because they're like blockbuster movies right they like copy and paste all this stuff and they're like oh these people like it's super studied right have you noticed these triple a games they all kind of try to do everything the same mm -hmm. like stuff mm -hmm. that all works um like we got undertale we got all these like smaller Minecraft even like now that it's become a huge game. That started with one person, you know. I think yeah. right now it's probably the best time for this to happen. I think personally. Yeah, maybe maybe don't task them with making games as big as like Jet Set Radio, but it would be cool to, you know, take a small team of between you know three and six people and task them with making a simple ios game or a uh, downloadable title that would be pretty cool and just and say to them do whatever you want to do because it's he, it's worked before yeah and like you said on, on this thing these guys were 20 somethings and this is something that a lot of people that when you guys debate on forums that like they want these people that were in sega in the 80s like that's not really what could move the company forward i think they need to start investing in new talents make right. new names for themselves and like appreciate what they did in the past but also know that you have to move forward and that's what sega was always about like when the dreamcast came out they moved forward with new franchises and yeah. uh we just like the franchises so we see them up fondly i think they can move forward with new franchises and then people would look back on them fondly yeah and i think a majority of Smilebit's team they they kind of cut their teeth and proved themselves on the saturn though i i really feel like obviously jet set radio was their their big breakout game and it shows, you know, they drew inspiration from the youth culture of Tokyo, which at the time in the late 90s featured high energy, vibrant colors, and popular music at the time was a mix of big beat, rock and DJ culture, and a revival of hip hop. Um, oh, here we go. Ryuta Ueda, I think that's right. The chief graphic designer for Jet Set Radio, who had left Sega in 2014 after 19 years, 
He reflected on the game's development in the 2012 documentary Jet Set Radio The Rude Awakening, which was uh, a bonus on those remasters. Have you watched this? Uh, I saw it a long time ago, I mean, when the remaster came out, so I would have to watch it again to uh, fully appreciate it, I think. Mm. A little fun fact, uh, Blake J. Harris helped in uh, holding those interviews. Oh, and he wrote Console Wars, right? Yeah, yeah, this this came uh, before Console Wars. It's, I don't know, it's interesting. <laughs> uh, but uh, this is what the chief graphic designer said about Jet Set Radio. He said, the music influenced me in many ways, so with the game, I kind of wanted to broadcast to the world what I felt at the time in my youth, an image of what was popular in Tokyo then. And another source of inspiration for him was a visit to 1996's Tokyo Game Show. He said, When I saw Parappa the Rapper at TGS, I think that's the first game with pop culture like that. They did it first. After that, I decided to make a true game, not just a visual experience that was actually for adults. So do you think that these connections, do you think of these connections when you first saw Jet Set Radio? And what did the game remind you of when you first saw it? Well, it didn't really remind me of anything I've ever seen before. I think that's why I got so attached to it. But now that you actually mentioned Paparappa, it makes sense, really. And like, I remember playing Paparappa and it was really strange, too. But it was one of those games where I played, like I think I played a demo, I never played the full game. And like, uh, I just never thought about it again. Uh, <laughs> I'm, not, I'm not saying it didn't make a, an impression. It made an impression on me where I see Papa Rapper and I'm like, oh, I remember that game. Yeah. But when I played Jets of Radio, for some reason, I just never really clicked to me that they were inspired by Papa Rapper. But now that you mention it, I guess it makes sense, really. Yeah. But uh, what do you think about this? Well, I, I first saw the game in the official Dreamcast magazine, and I think they drew that comparison, too. I'm pretty sure they mentioned Parappa the Rapper or just mentioned that it looked like cartoons, but I I didn't know what it was, and I thought, well, it's called Jet Set Radio, so maybe it's a rhythm game. And I think that's actually what a lot of people thought it was going to be. Um, later, do you remember the SNK game? I think it was SNK. Uh, cool Cool Tune? Yes, I do remember that game. Yeah, and then when that came out, people were saying, oh, it might be like Parappa the Rapper meets Jet Set Radio. So, you know, it was yeah. kind of cool that within just like a year, Jet Set Radio joined the ranks of Parappa the Rapper, which I, I think uh, uh, Ryuta would probably be very happy to hear. And but, uh, they're actually re-releasing the Papa Rap the Rapper game, I guess. Oh, Papa really? Rapper the Rapper, yeah. It's coming out on PSN soon. So, the I original? Mean, the original, yeah. In HD. Nice. Nice. I have the second one, and I, I'm not a big fan of all the noodles. Oh, yeah. Uh, <laughs> but I, And I also have Um Jammer Lammy on, on PS1. Uh, I haven't played that one too much. but I think you know, I never made the connection because uh, I think cause there were so different games and genres. I think that's what really kind of uh, got me a set. That, I mean, I just thought of like Jet Set Radio as Jet Set Radio. I mean, the gameplay is totally different. Oh, for sure. I think I think really it's the uh, visual style and kind of that hip-hop influence that really probably uh, attracted him to it. And, and he, yeah. like he says, it's the first game with pop culture used like that, which is true, I think. I think a lot of the games at the time were, you know, very, very serious, and it was like a, a dungeon quest, and you were a wizard, or... Or they would just do some kind of like anime thing. But this was something where the characters weren't afraid to look goofy, be goofy. I mean, 
<laughs> you know, there's one of the Jet Set Radio characters. He's basically that that little drawing of the nose poking over the wall. You know. Yeah, and then there's that uh, <laughs> pots with skates, which is ridiculous, but it's yeah, it works in this universe. Yeah, for sure. Um, now let's talk a little bit about how they got to what we uh, basically got. <laughs> it's uh, the game's director Masayoshi Kikuchi. He started with a vague inline skate concept and put an emphasis on the game's visual impact. The graffiti element, which is a series staple, was not an element in early development. In Kikuchi's opinion, he said, We could have made it into an adventure game or an RPG, revealing that the team considered several scenarios for an eye-catching game featuring punkish inline skaters. So, I mean, by this point, you know, you've got the, uh, the influences of Parappa the Rapper, and they decided to go with inline skating. But outside of that, you know, they were thinking maybe adventure game, RPG. These guys did have experience with RPGs, I believe. They worked on Panzer Dragoon Saga, some of them. Yeah, yeah. And so, I mean, the idea of going in and making a big world was probably very daunting to them. But in the end, they decided to go a more simplistic route. Uh, but after many ideas were thrown around, including, and I love this part, a game in which you simply walk around a cool-looking city, nothing of any real excitement took shape under the make-it-simple direction. So finally, after a lot of hard work, trial and error, uh, Smilebit came up with a game that melded skating with a run-from-the-cops arcade style and featured rival challenges, uh, had you using graffiti skills, and that would be the key to level progression. Um, so there, you know, Jet Set Radio had a lot going on, and I'm curious, what elements of Jet Set Radio did you find to be the most refined, and which elements do you think needed more work? Um, that's actually kind of a good question. I think some of the platforming feels a little weird, yeah. as it needed work. Like, I think this is a problem with a lot of games in this era, like uh, the jumping to one area to another area. Sometimes the camera is too low or something. So I think stuff like that needed to be, I mean, refined. Uh, as what worked, I think the whole idea of uh, timing to get around the city, I think that was a pretty fun aspect of the game. I like the way that the game connected the, rule, the, the maps together later on. Some people yeah. found it kind of annoying because they had to memorize it, but I kind of mm. thought that was the idea of the game, you know? Like, no, kind of map out where you're going to go first so you could beat the time the fastest. Yeah, yeah. So I kind of enjoyed that. I know a lot of people now find that kind of annoying, but I, I, I personally loved it. So um, what, what do you find that it needed work? Uh, well, as far as what needed work, obviously, like you mentioned, the cameras were not the greatest. I remember at the time, a lot of reviews would say this is a fantastic game. You need to play it, but be warned that you're going to have to get used to the camera. And I know a lot of people who played the game, they hated it. But for me, I've played the game so much that, for me, the camera's second nature. It's not a problem anymore. You know, I've learned to click the trigger to center the camera, and it, it doesn't bother me one bit. But, you know, this this time of uh, when this was made, you know, they were developing it in 1999, they, the whole industry really was kind of learning how to make uh, 3D games that didn't have graphics as a stumbling block. We'll discuss later on some of the games that released that year, but, you know, the N64 was still going strong, which shocks me. <laughs> like, I yeah. I always think N64 had stopped, and then Nintendo just sat off the sidelines while Sega made Dreamcast games. But no, you know, they're, 
There were people making 3D adventure games on the N64 while stuff like Jet Set Radio, Shenmue, Skies of Arcadia were coming out. And it's just, you know, I, I appreciate and respect those N64 games, but when you compare them, it's just kind of not laughable. I'm not trying to be mean, but, you know, it's it's like, man, I feel sorry for those guys developing on N64 where they have to struggle with, uh, with you know, what they have. Whereas Jet Set Radio, it's almost like they had so much at their disposal that they just weren't ready for it, I think. Yeah, there was a big leap in uh, yeah. PlayStation and Sega Saturn and Nintendo 64 to Dreamcast and PS2 and then later on GameCube and Xbox. Yeah, there was a huge leap right there. I think that's when 3D really started getting real good, you know? Mm-hmm. It's kind of the same thing where like 8-bit was fine, it was nice, but when it went to 16-bit, you really saw that jump. Right, of course, and I, I've said before too, you know, you. The, the Sega Genesis Mega Drive was when I think pixel art was perfected, and I think Saturn was when when it there were there were no stumbling blocks with it, and and at that same time they introduced 3D on that platform, and you know the other consoles at that time. But it was again now you know they were perfecting they had perfected 2D, but 3D was an issue again. And so I think with the Dreamcast it was finally that console where. 3D was not a stumbling block, and I think after that with the Xbox 360 and, you know, even the Xbox in its later years, again, you know, they they perfected it. I I think in the industry at this time, there probably weren't people who were brought on specifically to make the perfect camera system. I really don't. And I, I... I know Jet Set Radio has its, its problems with some of those things, but I kind of like it for, this, this will sound, I mean, I'm a fanboy, so I'll, you, you tell me some problems with Jet Set Radio and I'll explain them away, but I like it for its kind of sloppiness. I don't know, it's kind of like, like the art style itself is kind of sloppy, like well, jagged it, edges and... It's hard, to, it's hard to look down when you experienced it in the time that it came out, like... Kids yeah. these days, they'll play it now, and they're like, well, these games did the, the camera ten times better. And it's like, yeah. well, yeah, but back then, this is a new, ver- like, this is a leap. Right, and, and for you- me, when I hear that, I think, you're really focusing on the camera? Are you seeing these graphics? Are you seeing these colors? Are you hearing this music? Are you seeing these character designs? And they put so much together. And I, I don't think everything works perfectly. I... We're not going to talk about Jet Set Radio Future too much on this, if at all, but I feel like they were they were wise to remove the graffiti system from Jet Set Radio just because it did really slow down the flow, especially when you're standing there going, bump, bump, and bump, did, did, bump, bump, bump. Did you, did you uh, feel that that was a negative, the... Was it the quick time events, I guess we could call it? I, I don't know what they were called. Where you do the shapes... I think it worked in the style of game that they were making at the time, and I actually it did it did force you to rethink how you w- took the stage on. Uh, I don't remember how many times you'd need to paint before it kind of triggered the next round of enemies coming in. But if you're starting off a stage and there are just dogs barking at you, go around and do all the stuff near the ground, and then you'll trigger the helicopters. And by that point, you've done all the big things, and then you can just go around and do the smaller stuff and the air, and then. And then that would allow you to get up higher and you could actually take the helicopters down, which is my favorite thing. Um, and uh, that's actually what I was telling you. The, the game had some tactics to it. Uh, yeah. How you, you take the city on. And a lot of people that played this game were just, hey, there's a tag right there. I'll do that. And then they go across the city and they do a tag there and then they come all the way back. It's like, dude, 
you're gonna you're not gonna win. It's like yeah. what is this? Yeah, and I, I think something they do really well too is that progression. When you when you play the game, you're given the map, and there are, from what I remember, I think there's like three three or four different kind of uh, stories story stages within each city. And so it starts in one, and then you you beat it, and then you go to another part of that city, and then another part, and then at the end they all combine. And yeah. if you if you played the previous ones and you were you know learning you know and seeing where you were, you would it would teach you you know that the city's bigger and how to get around. And even those rival races would treat you know I, I would do the rival races and lose a lot of the time just because I would follow the person. Uh, and see what tricks they were using, and oftentimes, you know, you'd learn little secrets. And there so. was this, there's just one mission where you have to in a night area place where you yeah. have to grind perfectly to get one of the characters. That was ridiculous. Mm -hmm. I can't. Yeah. It was like all difficult randomly. It was like a difficulty spike. They could have yeah, chilled that that down a little bit. And you know what's funny is that, and again, we'll get into it. The regional differences in the in the Western versions there are different challenges for for certain characters and some of them are insanely difficult on the u.s uh european version and they're super easy on the other and i don't know if it's because they had a different player playing it or if they changed the rules but i do know that um for example if you want to unlock combo who's that that big guy with the boombox, you have to play as him do you remember this against yeah. i think beat and then they and had a holy rob zombie crap. Yeah. Well, you, you you went to Tokyoto and you were like, yo, beat, I need some help. And then he would be like, yeah, race me, the f one of the faster characters in the game, and you're the slowest character. Yeah. Uh, that's hell. But when you play um, when you play it in the Japanese version, it's easy because it's a different different thing. So there is some balance issues in the U.S. version. But um, What do you, you know. think? I mean, would you play this game if it was just a cool game walking around a city? <laughs> Yes, I would. In fact, like I've said, I've played this game so many times that sometimes I'll play it differently just to get a different experience. And one is that I'll just walk around and look at things. And those NPCs are hilarious. I love yeah. them. Yeah, I love, yeah, I was going to say, yeah, I do that sometimes, just look at the art. I was going to say, <laughs> they already have games that do this already. It's funny because I think it's kind of a popular thing with indie developers. Yeah. Like a Journey, you just walk around the desert. I, I think there's more to it. I've only, I've never played it, but... I've yeah. heard about it. And then they did Flower, which is your a pedal, and you just uh, go around collecting other pedals. So it's like, they're, what they wanted to do with this game back then is kind of a trend right now. So they were oh, already yeah. ahead of their time, just planning no, it. And th this is why I love Sega. They're such innovators that they will think of something that happens 15, 20 years later, but they just didn't do it because they were like, eh. <laughs> you know, they yeah. were like, sounds too simple. We don't want to do it. Let's leave it to an indie developer in 20 years, and then everyone will praise it. Uh, <laughs> so, moving on. the uh, Like we said, the Jet Set Radio's visual style, it was inspired by manga and anime. Anime? Manga? <laughs> with a flat, illustrated look. Kikuchi called the process extremely challenging, but as evidenced in the final game, they were able to pull it off. And despite the hard work, Smilebit kept their wacky nature, telling the media that the process was called either manga cartoon dimension or, and this is my favorite, Japanese monkey magic. Jumping, <laughs> or cel shaded, why? as well, we know it now. Yeah, as we know it now. But I really wish we lived in an industry where people were like, "Oh, we have a brand new game. It's uh, it's Japanese monkey magic graphics." 
<laughs> but uh, going into that, how do you think Jetset Radio's graphics impacted the industry? Uh, I think, well, I think there's a lot of games right now that are cell shaded, and it's because I, I want to say this is popularized. It. I want to say it's the first game that tried to do this. I think that a lot of people would bring up like Paparappa, obviously. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, but I think they did it differently, and so did uh, I. Don't know if you remember. Uh, you remember this game, but uh, Fear Effect. Yeah, yeah. I, yeah. I mean, I I do know that there are games where they have very hard shadows to the point of there being no blend. But I'm trying to think of games before Jet Set Radio that had the black outlines that that shifted with the camera. <laughs> no, I mean that was unique, and I think that a lot of companies saw that they took it and they're like this looks this is pretty incredible and then they they kind of went on with it and now it's become a i guess a standard in in video game development like they have a zelda game that it's uh, shell shaded yeah yeah pretty much um in terms of games that are that have the black outlines i know the dreamcast has at least two it has um wacky races and it also has looney tune space race which if you've never played that game, that game graphically is probably one of the best Dreamcast games. It's so beautiful to look at. It looks like a, a Looney Tunes game like come to life. And uh, uh, I remember reading stories when this game came out that graphically, and uh, this couldn't run on the PlayStation 2, and they never made a port on PS2. <laughs> I mean, I don't know if it could. Uh, there's some really amazing looking games, but there has never been a game open world like this on PS2 that had cel-shaded graphics that I could think of. And yeah... I mean, they so, ported, they did port Wacky Races, but that's not a really heavily cell shaded game. I, I mean, I wouldn't be surprised. Maybe it is possible, but it doesn't look that pretty. Because, I mean, let's be honest, PS2 is a little jaggy. Uh, it depends. Like, I, yeah. I think it did. I think, I think it did certain things better than Dreamcast. But I think maybe this is one of the things that Dreamcast did better. Yeah. I'm not sure. You know how developers are. They, they use the power. They create a game, for, you know, based on the power of the console. You know. So right, it's kind of right. hard to think, like, oh, we made this game specifically for Dreamcast. They look at the specs for the PS2, and they're like, yeah, it's not going to work on that. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, they're professionals, or maybe they're just hyping us so we could buy more Dreamcasts. It's that Japanese monkey magic that only the Dreamcast can do. Hey, that should have been... <laughs> that should, that's how they should have uh, advertised the Dreamcast. Japanese <laughs> monkey magic, only on Dreamcast. It's like the new Blast Processing. Exactly. <laughs> uh... Going into the plot, it's very strange, so, you know, bear with me here. DJ Professor K, he's that big guy who yells a lot, of the pirate radio station Jet Set Radio, broadcasts to warring gangs of youths who roam the streets of Tokyoto, rollerblading and practicing the art of graffiti. You play as the GGs, a gang which begins with three members, Beat, Corn, and Gum, and expands to ten as the game progresses, and of course there's some unlockables. Your rivals include gangs like the Love Shockers, Poison Jam, and Noise Tanks, who you battle it out with on the streets in three distinct areas, which consist of small interconnected maps. While you initially are dodging the cops, soon you find that the evil chairman of the Rokaku group, Goji Rokaku, and his gang of assassins, the Golden Rhinos, want you and your rivals dead. Goji's ultimate plan is to summon a demon and conquer the world with a vinyl record known as the Devil's Contract. In the end, however, <laughs> the record was just a fake, and Go- Goji just went crazy due to his greed. Uh, so, <laughs> what do you think of the plot, and did you find it anticlimactic? 
Uh, I thought I okay. Here's some aspects I really loved about the game. I love the idea that they had these little games and they they had really strange names like the Love Shockers and Poison Jam, and Noise Tanks. But like I, one thing I did not like is obviously the ending. I when I saw the character, I was like, wait, what's this? What the hell? Yeah, uh, Satanic Record. Okay, that's a, all right, I guess. And then when it ended, I was like, that's it. This whole game's over. Yeah. And I felt like it was a rather short game. Mm-hmm. But uh, but I really love the idea of playing through the game. I had fun playing the what? I don't even know how long it is. Four hours? Five hours? It's not long. I mean, I I've I've, I've done a marathon. Not probably not six years ago. It didn't take long. I played it in like two hours, three hours. Maybe. So there you go. Yeah, it's a very short game, and I think that's one of the non-selling points. Uh, I guess I think now that we have this whole like I guess. Ubisoft open world thing. I think they would have just added a bunch of little. I mean, they did add stuff like you have to uh, get the records or the little icons. Yeah, the graffiti souls and the game loops too. So once you complete it, you're back to the first mission again. You don't have to start a new save file, and then it keeps going. Uh, there is. Um, it's not towards the end like Streets of Rage, but towards the beginning there is a thing where if you go one route, you get pranked differently. Like they they prank your Playhouse, do you remember this? Your uh, playhouse, your your like, uh, what's it called? What's the cool thing? The hideout. Right? The hideout. <laughs> I, I'm in a gang, and we call it the playhouse. So I don't know about you. I, but, I would uh, call it a hideout because yeah. It sounds do you remember mysterious. this? They prank you, dude. Okay, first of all, yeah, yeah, I do remember. But Barry, don't call if you're in a gang and you're a pretty bad <laughs> bad boy. Uh, don't call it a, a, a playhouse. Like, how are you gonna pick up girls? You'd be like, hey, you want to go to my playhouse? I think that works. Maybe it works. I'm not sure. I don't know. Have you seen the babes that Pee Wee got? Okay, maybe you're, I'm wrong. Sorry about that. Yeah. <laughs> Did you think it was anticlimactic though? The ending, real quick. Oh yeah. I mean, uh, I played the American version first. They they did make some changes at the end. Like Cube takes over Professor K's role for no reason, and he's like, Why not? You know, he's like, Yeah, and he's like, In the end, the record was just a fake. And then he. Do you remember he gets really poetic and he's like, maybe if we all just follow our hearts and dreams and the sounds of the street. And you're like, what the, what are you talking about, dude? Oh, and then yeah. he goes, and and again, we'll cover this, but he's like, and our friend Coin, he died. You know, you're like, wait, I thought you added a new character. Because this is like, you're talking about this guy who clearly looks like a white dude with his cap backwards that went missing. And they're like, nah, Coin died. Like, one character in the entire game dies. And it's... Yeah, for, to, to make you feel bad, right, I guess? Yeah, I was going to say, now that we have, like, this is before the internet, and people freak out if uh, localizations are changed just a tiny bit. You think people back then would have freaked out of, like, adding combo, which is, like, pretty stereotypical, I guess, but black character and, like, randomly giving him a big boombox? But... The... He, the funny thing is, Combo and Cube were in the original game, but then they kind of tweaked them a little bit. At least, uh, they didn't change Combo that much. Cube, though, they turned her from like a Japanese girl to a goth girl, so they gave her different clothing. And I thought that was just weird. Like, what a weird gang. Yeah. You know, like, you've got this big black guy with a boombox, this little skinny goth girl, and then this guy named Cube who looks like a Tony Hawk skater who you never see outside of uh, cutscenes, and then it turns out he died. <laughs> so how do you think they could have made this game, I guess, longer? Because like we said, that was a problem, right? Three hours mm-hmm. for a back then $50 game. 
Well, like I mentioned, there was one point where, depending on what you did, the story changed a little bit. Um, I remember either pots would get kidnapped or frogs would fill your, your clubhouse, your playhouse. Yes, and, I remember uh, that. And what I loved about it is that if Cube, if Cube, if Potts was kidnapped, he was not there. His doghouse was empty. And if the frogs took over, frogs were in your clubhouse that entire time, which was kind of funny. Yeah. I think they could have done more of that. I think if it in- impacted the gameplay a little more, that would have been cool. Like, change the missions. Um, I think now, looking at the way design for open world has changed... I think they yeah. could have obviously added stuff like challenges. Uh, and if you unlock those challenges, you get new outfits for your characters. Stuff like that, I think, would have uh, went a long way for the game. But, like, there's only 20 people working on it. How many people have to make costumes and stuff? Like, true. now we have 150 people working on games. True, true. Yeah, and so, I mean, and they did get a chance again with Jet Set Radio Future. It's a very different game, which will fill an entire other Sega talk. But, I mean... You know, some of the things we have talked about, they did fix, or they did address. And, you know, we're talking open world, and that was an open world game, pretty much. Yeah. So, here's the most important part, the music. Well, I mean, come on, you can't have Jet Set Radio without great music. So, you know, the gameplay and graphics, they required equally brilliant music. And what they got was some really fantastic stuff. We had a number of tunes by Hideki Naganuma an in-house Sega musician from 1998 to 2009. Other artists included Diavid Soul. I always call him Diavid. Maybe it's like David, but he spells it funny. Uh, Guitar Vader, Richard Jacques, and many others, including some of which were exclusive to the US and PAL versions of the game. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> so, <laughs> How many times back in the 90s did we have to hear Dracula by Rob Zombie? Uh, don't remind me. <laughs> we'll get to him, too. Uh, I, I'm, I'm trying to push him out of my mind for this bit, though. Uh, so combined with the art direction, Yuda's um, art, uh, or I'm sorry, Kikuchi's direction, Yuda's art, and Naganuma's memorable music, these three made up the core group that truly shaped Jet Set Radio. I mean, no, no slight to the other musicians, but Naganuma, he really did the brunt of the work. And I think he had some of the greatest tracks to come out of it. So I'm curious, what are your favorite Jet Set Radio music tracks? And did the soundtrack open you up to new artists and genres? Uh, well, okay, here's the thing. I only heard the tracks in the game. And, well, in the, I guess sometimes I would stream it, right? Like, I've been streaming it lately on, um, uh, what's that thing, Spotify? They have it on mm-hmm. Spotify. So if you want to listen to it, listen to it on Spotify. But I never looked, like, this is the thing with video game music, I never look at the track listing, I just listen to it, I go, oh, that's good, that's good. So when I'm editing videos and I have to get a track, it takes me so yeah. long to find the tracks. I have to listen to the whole album and then I'll be like, oh, okay, that, this one's called uh, Out of Space or something, you know? Um, yeah. But uh, it did open me up to new artists like uh, Guitar Vader, I have their whole discography on my computer. After oh, wow. I, I, I figured out that, yeah, so, and then I actually kept up with them and I, one of the one of the guys in the band died, and now they're not a band anymore. But they weren't popular, and they're from Japan. And if you have a chance to listen to them, I I get uh, you guys should listen to them. They're a little poppy, for usual my usual taste in music, but they're they're pretty good still. I like them. They're really rock and rolly, uh, Japanese rock and roll, I guess. Uh, what about you, Barry? I I think my favorite tracks in the game were probably I really liked "Bout the City." 
even though looking back it's a kind of a strange track for the game. You'd think it would have been added to the US release, but it was in the original. I think just because it was in my favorite stage, which I think is Benton Cho, I get the names confused, but it's the, the city at night. And I just liked singing along with it because, <laughs> you know, it's they the one just that's like it. do wop up a whatever it is. Do wop, do wop, listen yeah. to the music, do wop, yeah. do wop, Yeah. Um, I also really loved the uh, the classic um, Let Mom Sleep. That one's oh, great. Yeah. That one's Miller, uh, legendary. Electric Toothbrush, uh, Miller Ball Breakers. I really like Miller Ball Breakers. That one's great. Um, but, you know, every track has something that I enjoy about it. And it's very eclectic, which I love. As far as opening up new artists or genres, it, like you mentioned, Guitar Vader, I downloaded some of their stuff. Um, in the sequel, there were some artists that I checked out, uh, like Kibo Mato, and, um, and I was really... I, I wasn't a big fan of the Latch Brothers in the sequel, but a lot of their music stuck with me, and then I, I actually did some investigation on them, and it turns out that they were like only assembled for that game and one of them was a beastie boy <laughs> yeah and yeah which is bizarre and on top of that they didn't release any albums the only album they ever released was the jet set radio future music sampler so i was like i gotta snatch that i gotta snatch that up you know before i write the article and then beastie boys fans are like oh there's a beastie boys album i'm missing <laughs> so yeah um but it also uh, it also taught me to dislike some music genres, which we'll get into. But I, I I can't go on without mentioning Jurassic Five. I think that's the one that I really really latched onto. I uh, bought most of their albums, not like illegally downloaded, but I like went out and bought them. They're Sega really was good. Re Sega was really pushing that group. Like they had them in the Dreamcast uh, official Dreamcast uh, sampler disc when you yeah, bought yeah. it. Yeah. The music video? Yeah, yeah. Uh, I can't remember. What, what was the song on there? It was... Um, oh, <laughs> You're going to hate yourself for not remembering. I got to look it up. I know we don't do this too much, but oh, I got to look. He's, it's going gonna, it's gonna to destroy him if he doesn't know. I'm going to so be you, sitting here and I'm going to be like, yeah, George, that's really interesting. And then I won't be... What was it? Want me to talk? Want me to talk about the Western release made music? Yeah, edition? yeah. Go Sorry. ahead while I'm looking it. North up. American version added cold, professional murder music, uh, and Rob Zombie. While the Europeans feature uh, had feature cast Ob1 and uh, Semi Detach. Both regions shared tracks from Jurassic Five and Mixmaster Mike. Uh, what do you think about these additional music tracks? Do you think they fit well with the soundtrack, Barry? Oddly enough, I think the ones that both regions shared were some of the best tracks. I mean, they, they fit with the game. If they were in the original Japanese one, I wouldn't have noticed that they were, you know, added. But, man, the Europeans, they really lucked out. Because if you listen to any of those tracks, they feel like Jet Set Radio tracks. Whereas, I mean, come on, Cold, Professional Murder Music, Rob Zombie, it's just like, they... They throw you into the new stages, and you're playing as a goth girl, and Rob Zombie's coming on. And I don't dislike Rob Zombie, but it's just it's not, it's not a place for Jet Set Radio. Yeah, it was. But these music tracks are very trendy back in the in this time era. This is like the time era of new metal and like being extreme, and hating your parents, and listening to Corn, and being goth, I guess. Yes. <laughs> so this is like what we got right here. Uh, I actually agree with you. I don't think Rob Zombie fit. Cold didn't fit. I don't. 
not in these kind. I know there's probably fans listening to it and they're like, hey man, I love Dracula by Rob Zombie. It's a great track. Well, that's good for you, but uh, I don't think it fit with Jet Set Radio and the, uh, I guess, feel of the music they were going for. Yeah, and at the time I thought, well, these are this is a Japanese game. They made this, so this is how they view Americans. And so I actually felt kind of insulted that they were like, oh, Americans love cold, professional murder music. But really, that was Sega of America trying to capitalize on the Tony Hawk's Pro Skater uh, bandwagon, you know, that whole thing. And which is funny because I feel like uh, uh, Tony Hawk Pro Skater was going more for the punk music. I think, I don't know, I, I feel like if they were going to use these, I'm, I don't think they should have used these tracks. I, I wouldn't even mind seeing, to see like them remix songs. Like these weren't remix, were they? Like they felt like they were just the track and they put them on there from the CD. No, they just, I think they just edited out the swearing, though I don't think they edited the swearing out of the uh, <laughs> the music sampler disc, which is funny. But um, for those on the edge of their seat, the official Dreamcast magazine disc came with a music video of quality control from Jurassic 5. There you go. And yeah, that was the one where they go, you know, what is it? It's like, uh, my quality control captivates your party patrol, your mind, body, and soul, that one. Uh, it's good. That's my rapping. So, but <laughs> Damn, drop the mic. I, w- I would rap along <laughs> when I was playing, especially with the Jurassic 5 one, but then I checked the lyrics and I was getting everything wrong. <laughs> you know, That's like, the best part. Of rapping. I was I was thinking that the, the artists' names that they were dropping were different and it was not good. I think I was talking about like baloney when they weren't actually saying the word baloney. Still, you know. You want to talk about the regional differences? You're an expert in regional differences from Jet Set Radio. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So, you know, being a big fan of the game, I've imported the the UK one, the Japanese one, and I own the American one. I don't have De La Jet Set Radio because that one shot up in price just before I started looking to buy it, unfortunately. But it's not that different. So... The Western releases of the game, they added two new levels taking place in the fictional American Grind City. You know, that's 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 pretty cringeworthy. Um, which was inspired by New York, Ch- Chicago, and other major cities. The characters Combo and Cube, as mentioned, became Americans who were seeking out the Japanese GGs for help to find their lost team member, Coin. And I felt like they were going for like a trio there, like Combo, Cube, and Coin, which is, I guess, kind of... I don't know, they put some thought into it. Unfortunately, Coin never existed outside of cutscenes. He's not unlockable, even though it looks like they made a render of him that was like static in the cutscenes. It's weird. He wears like a, he wears a one of those like sleeveless white shirts and a backwards cap. He's probably the most boring character design you'll ever see. Uh, oh yeah. And you know, we weren't happy about it and Smilebit, they weren't happy with the additions. Uida felt that his pride was hurt. Uh, the original game celebrated what made Japan cool and hip, and he felt that the foreign stages watered down this aspect. But despite being against the additions, he felt that the proce- prospect of implementing new ideas was exciting for the team. I mean, you think about it, they really loved making this game, and if Sega of America is going to be like, hey, we're going to throw you more development money to make a few more stages... I, I don't think they were going to say no because it's more work and it's more time uh, spent in you know this game that they loved. Wait, wait, wait. So did Smilebit add the new stages, even yeah. though they were Americanish? Yeah, they they received basically. I believe well, the, you know, there was like a five or six month gap between the releases, 
And so I, I think when America was seeing, the Sega of America was seeing the game in development, they probably were saying you need to Americanize this some more. So because of the Tony Hawk Pro Skater, you know, we need to bring yeah. those guys in. And I think that was um, the game's doomed. But I'll yeah. talk about that later in the thing. But yeah. I, I hated uh, the fact that when I was in school, people would compare it to Tony Hawk and it was... Mm. But, yeah, um, I mean, did you did you think the additions were necessary to make the more game the game more Western friendly? And did you feel? Well, I guess let's answer that one first. Okay, I I like the idea that it had more content than the Japanese one because I already felt like the game was short. I just thought it didn't it stood out like it was weird. I remember playing it and I was like, wait, what the hell is this character from America? What what is going on here? What is this? And it just yeah. didn't feel like it it fit with the overall package. I wish they would expand on. Maybe stories, add another another gang from Japan, and have a you know the same type of plot that they had with uh, I uh, what's his name, the dog getting kidnapped or the frogs. They should oh, add yeah, something yeah. more like that instead of just like uh, shoehorning these characters in just because we're American. Yeah, they really they arrive and the whole game just like goes on pause because the the stages are actually a flashback, so you can only play as Combo or Cube in yeah. these stages. And of course, you're not gonna. I mean, I like Combo. He's he's good for boss battles and stuff, but um, he's not the greatest character. So you're pretty much stuck with Cube in these new stages. Of course, you can go back and play them when you unlock the stage, but it's just bizarre because they come there, they tell them the story, and then you have to play through these two stages, and then they throw you back into the game, and you're continuing on business as usual. And Professor K is talking about what happened prior to the. Uh, the combo and cube stuff. And interestingly, Professor K never refers to all that stuff. They had the voice actor for combo talking. So I feel like they were probably like, they couldn't coax the Professor K voice actor back or maybe afford to do more cutscenes with him. So they were like, uh, let's have a second narrator out of nowhere. Yeah, it just didn't feel like it, it was part of the overall package. Even back then when I didn't know it wasn't, it just yeah. felt weird. I was like, wait, what? What is this now? I was yeah, in the middle if, of doing stuff, and then this sh stuff happens. And if you don't like regional differences or cut content, I mean, the American and European version, Professor K doesn't voice the ending narration, really, which sucks, because it's like you kick the game off with him, and then he's not there at the end to talk about what happened to Goji Rokaku and all that kind of stuff. Yeah, even though we, I love the Dreamcast era, Sega of America made some weird choices when they came to localize, uh, localizing games. Yeah. Now, I mean, I think one positive thing to come from it was that Grind City was pretty much a precursor to Jet Set Radio Future's more vertically designed levels. Did you did you notice this? Did you enjoy Grind City? You know, Grind City wasn't bad, and I think, like I said, I just felt like it didn't make any sense. I wouldn't mind them having Grind City in the game. I just felt like they could have implemented it in the game better. Mm -hmm. um, so, no, I don't hate it. I never thought it was terrible. I mean, besides the fact that you have to use these characters, not the characters you like, and uh, the story just doesn't make any sense with the story that's happening. Right. Yeah, Grind yeah, City there was is not terrible. Grind, Grind Square and Grind Street, I think. Yeah. And I really like the street because it kind of looks like Chicago. It's got the elevated train tracks. It's a very long stage, which is kind of cool, and there's a little skate park off to the side. So, I mean... I'm not going to turn my, my nose up at uh, new content, but it's almost kind of like, what can I compare it to? I, I really like the Lord of the Rings extended editions, but sometimes it's a bit much. And it's like, would you rather have 30 minutes of new footage or a story that's more tightly told? 
yeah, that's what I'm saying. It's it's a, it's a hard decision to make. I do like the extended versions too, like you said, but like some parts where I'm like, did we really need to have that uh, extra t two minutes staring at each other? Right, and when you when but when you talk about video games, it's like, would you rather have more stages or would you rather have less stages? And that's the difficult decision to make, and especially when Jet Set Radio is not really a story-driven game. But then again, I feel like the story did get hurt. And, yeah, it did uh, because it's just randomly there in the middle. Yeah, yeah, it's like Sonic the Hedgehog 2, like all of a sudden an, an American comes in, he's like, hey, uh, you need to help me with this, and then Tails like sits off to the side for a few stages, I don't know. Or even worse, um, it's like uh, Shadow comes in, so let me tell you about my story, and it's like <laughs> randomly you go to some other world, and there's no Eggman, and it's in the future. Oh, man. Or Yakuza, and some white guy just appears, and he's like, listen, play as me for a bit. Um, He's all, let me tell you my life story. <laughs> yeah, listen, bro. Um, another big change in North America was the title change to Jet Grind Radio. And so I, I've done some research on this. I've always thought it was a weird thing. Uh, SEG of America, this is from what I've read, they were worried that the Japanese-ness of the game would alienate players in territories outside Japan. And so they changed the game's title, replacing Set with Grind, making the game Jet Grind Radio. Fans have theorized that the reason was that Jet Set has caused some sort of copyright issue. However, when they, uh, when the creators were interviewed, Uida and Kikuchi, by Games TM, and it's a fantastic article. It's very long. Have you seen this? It's like ten pages or something. No, I haven't. No, I it's, haven't. Uh, I, I don't know if they're they're around anymore, but it's it's online. It's worth reading if you're a fan. Um, they couldn't explain this change, so I. I don't know, they, they didn't know an answer, but it didn't seem like copyright was something they knew about. Uh, I, I think it's possible that Sega of America PR team wanted to emphasize the grinding mechanics in an, in an effort to catch the attention of the Tony Hawk Pro Skater fans. It's also worth noting that Sonic Adventure 2 is only eight months away, and that also had grinding mechanics, and these were shown to the public as early as E3 2000. So grinding was, you know, on Sega of America's mind, I feel, soap shoes. Yeah, it was a, a huge time in there. Everybody wanted to become the skater. Remember that? Everybody thought they could skate uh, yep. because of Tony Hawk Pro Skater. They're like, I can bust out the combos too in real life. But man, yeah. skating in real life is so much more boring than skating in Tony Hawk Pro Skater. Um, but uh, I, I was just saying, like, okay. You really think that Western audiences, like, they thought we were kind of stupid, let's be honest at this point, because the Jet, the Jet Grind radio commercial was the most Japanese commercial I've ever seen in my life. That was weird. That like, was weird. Yeah, I remember being in school, and I remember this kid came up to me, and he's like, well, you're a freaking Dreamcast fan, so I'm assuming you're going to get Jet Grind radio, and I'm like, yeah, I am, because it's a fucking Sega game, of course I'm going to get it, what is wrong with you? <laughs> and he's like, well, it, it's, trying to be, it's trying to copy Tony Hawk, but it looks like Japanese crap, and I'm like... Because he was talking about the commercial. Like, commercial was yeah. super Japanese. I don't understand what they were trying to, like, aim for. They didn't even try to be, like, a Tony Hawk commercial. So, yeah, I think yeah. the fans already knew right away that this is a Japanese game and they weren't going to like it. It was very strange because, you know, like we said, they made all these efforts to make it Western-friendly. But I feel like there was a disconnect with the marketing agency who was like, no, you got to push the Japanese-ness. I mean, this commercial, it's got, it looks like a little store in Japan and they're like, they're saying Big Go 5 and 10 or something like that. Uh, they're spray painting a girl's butt. Um, they put rocket skates on an old man who's holding a portrait of what I assume to be his dead wife. Um, <laughs> yeah, yeah. And 
and they're like live the young hip cool jet set radio or jet grind radio lifestyle it it, what is it it's like it grinds it bombs wrecks and runs from the man something like that and i remember at the time i was like sega is so fucking cool that they just localized their japanese commercials but no this was made specifically for the western audiences which is so baffling that you make a game with efforts to make it more western friendly and then you make the least western friendly commercial ever that's why I'm saying there's some sort of disconnect. And even then, like, the way they promoted it, they didn't really actually, like, promote the grinding aspect of the game. They promoted the tagging aspect of the game. They had yeah. uh, magazine uh, ads were two pages, and it was, like, this old lady getting Jet, Jet, Grind, Radio, Jet Grind Radio tag on her. And then they yeah. had, like, a big contest to do tagging. So it was more of a tagging game, it felt like, for a tagging yeah. community. And I mean, you know, when, when we do this show, we lament that we can't cover everything. Unfortunately, I didn't put that on the show notes. If you want to briefly mention it, it was, um, where was it? In San Francisco, I believe. Yeah, it, it was, was San Francisco. A, a graffiti art contest, and it was pretty cool. They had uh, demo pods up for the game. They had some really cool volunteer shirts. One of them went up on eBay not too long ago. I couldn't afford it, but I did save the photos to my hard drive. Um, and they had... Uh, you know, legit graffiti artists there doing work. It was really neat, and unfortunately, it caused a bit of a stir with the local, uh, the local government. I don't, I don't have the article with me, but I do know that it was probably one of the things that caused them to add that uh, disclaimer. disclaimer. Graffiti is art. I'm gonna read it because I think it's it's something you see every time you boot up the game. It's kind of fun. Graffiti is art. However, graffiti as an act of vandalism is a crime. Every state slash province has vandalism laws that apply to graffiti, and local entities such as cities and counties have anti-graffiti ordinances. Violation of these laws can result in a fine, probation, or a jail sentence. Sega does not condone the real-life act of vandalism in any form. But you did do a contest. So. Yeah, I mean, it was controlled. It was uh, paid walls, I guess. I think right, that's yeah. fine. But it was uh, it was pretty funny because uh, I, Sega used to do these kind of events all the time for the Dreamcast, and I think it was I don't know if it was wasted money, but I think in this aspect, I think they wanted to get that attention from the news media. Yeah. Uh, I know they did one for Space Channel 5 where they did like a Hollywood Walk of Fame kind of thing where you walked down the red aisle and it was like, ooh la la was the next pop star. Mm -hmm. So they did interesting things like this as back then. Uh, I mean, do you think that Tony Hawk Pro Skater fans would have liked Jet Grind Radio or Jet Set Radio? I think if they played it, they would have enjoyed it. It's definitely not a trick-heavy game. You know, there are so, there's not many things you can do. We haven't really talked about the controls all that much, but you can you can go backwards. That's something I didn't know you could do for the longest time until I was fiddling with the stick and I went backwards. Um, you can jump. You know, there, there's not too much to it. What I really loved about Jet Set Radio compared to Tony Hawk is that you couldn't fall. It was yeah. very difficult to fall. And I, I've played Tony Hawk. I have him. You know, I like it. I hate falling. It, you fall way too much in that game. Well, I it's mean, realistic it's, though, because I've seen skaters; they fall all the time. I yeah, that's that's, that's an aspect. There's even in Tony Hawk. Uh, there's even a, a movie you unlock where people are just ba falling down. So it's like a big <laughs> part of the uh, culture. But uh, I I think they're a totally different game. I think comparing them was kind of a, a disservice. I think Sega America trying to get that audience was stupid. I think they should have just tried to hit, carve their own niche in the market. Yeah. yeah. 
So you want uh, which one do you prefer? The name? Oh, obviously Jet Set Radio. Yeah, that's no contest. Jet Set Radio sounds way better. Jet Grind Radio, not so much. Yeah, and I mean, let's be real. Jet Set is a real thing, you know, like a jet setter. What the hell's a jet grind? Nothing. It's just because grinding was a popular mechanic in the Tony Hawk games. <laughs> and even even uh, Professor K in the Jet Grind Radio, when he kicks it off, you see the Jet Set Radio logo and he says Jet Set Radio, which is an even weirder disconnect. <sighs> anyway, we could we could complain all episode about this, which we kind of have. Um, but uh, another change that few people talk about is that they re-recorded all the character voices for the Western version, and they even changed some character names. So originally it was Corn, and he became Tab. Beast became Mew. Piranha became Sugar, and the weirdest one is Slate became Soda. I just found that weird. Like, just keep Slate. Um, Given the characters were clearly Japanese and their names are not important to the game, do you think this was even necessary? Not really, but like, why would you call, like, okay, you have corn to tab, and then you're like, hmm, well, slate though, we need soda, right? Soda, soda's good, yeah. just change it. It's like, just keep them at least all food or don't, I don't get it. I mean, I, I think it's well known that my waifu is beast, and yeah. I, I have a giant, like, window, like, sticker cling on my wall of her and uh naganuma has also claimed her which kind of upsets me but you guys have to fight to the death i offered her a rose though so i think she chose me but when i see people saying oh i love mew it just it kind of makes me sick to my stomach and maybe that's because she's my wife my waifu and you know it's like disrespectful to call her by that uh baka gaijin name (laughs) So, um, but Piranha, I also like Piranha. She's not my waifu, but to change it to Sugar is so lame. Piranha is such a cool name. I think they probably thought they wanted to kind of fit in line with the way that uh, gum was called, like, after snacks or sugary snacks. Yeah, Uh, yeah, and Mew kind of looked like a little kitty cat. Yeah, so... I mean, I I don't really hate it. At the end of the day, it's the same game. It's just kind of bizarre that they changed it. Was this part of the developers or just the port team is like we're changing it to piss people off yeah i don't know i mean beat sounds so much cooler in the japanese one he does this cool like trill with his tongue when he jumps he goes you know like that something (laughs) like that and when he's in the american one he goes yeah yeah sweet yeah they all do that sweet oh and when they jump they'll say something and so instead of just going huh they go, yeah, sweet, tight, sweet, sweet, tight, tight, Radical. sweet, tight. Cowabunga. Yeah, right. <laughs> no, Instead of going, <laughs> yeah, exactly. What's what's wrong with you guys, American voice actors? You can't do that. I don't know. I don't know. But maybe it was a way to like cut down on the craziness of the game. But you can't contain Jet Set Radio. You can't. Um, many have tried. Many have tried. Many have failed. Uh, now there is a version of the game out there, and we're going to get into some of the different versions here. Uh, there is Dela Jet Set Radio, which is a re-release of the game to Japan. Dela is kind of d- like deluxe, and it combined the best music from the U.S. and European versions. So it basically, I think it had the European soundtrack essentially. So no it Rob had, Zombie, no Rob Zombie, no professional murder music, no cold. Um, and yeah, this guy, uh, I didn't mention this, but there is one. I think it's Diavid Soul track that is not on the American one. I'm trying to remember what it's called. It's a, it's not the best track. It's actually kind of boring. Like it's just like, like, I don't know. I'm still better than I don't uh, miss Dracula. It. Yeah, yeah. Um, and it it features the American stages, but interestingly, 
they have um, the Japanese voices, but I think Combo still speaks English, which is weird because I think, <laughs> I think, I think Combo speaks English in the cutscenes, but I think he retains his Japanese voice. Um, other little changes include, I think, some maybe graphical tweaks, uh, maybe some bug fixes. The the timer instead of count, it has the little like decimal point with the seconds ticking down super fast. Which nanoseconds. Like yeah, which called? doesn't really help the gameplay, but it does give you a little more uh, incentive to move faster when you see that clock moving a little quicker. And outside of that, I, I think that's it. The cover is pretty cool. It has gum in place of beet, and so it's a nice kind of like salt and pepper uh, on your shelf there with the original and the um, the new one. And the, I haven't even... <laughs> see, I, I could talk about Jet Set Radio for like three hours. The booklet is beautiful. It has some of the best, like, this is nerdy, paper stock on the cover. <laughs> you're, a big, like, you're big into paper stock. Oh, it's like a matte paper, and it looks so nice, and it wraps around. You know, there's no ads on the back. It's really nice. Um, and De La Jet Set Radio, it had a... It goes for, I'd say, about 80 bucks, 60 to 80 if you can find it. There is a special Sega Direct version, which comes with a T-shirt and a collector's box, which goes for more. But it's not as cool as the Sega Gaga box, which had pins and all those cool things. Sega Direct um, before Nintendo Direct. Sega that's does. Right. Please understand. Uh... <laughs> There was also, uh, I always thought this one was interesting. There's a Game Boy Advance version of the game. Yeah, that was weird, right? right? They did a bunch of Sega games like that. Teach. Yeah, yeah. I mean, the Game Boy Advance, few, I feel like few people talk about this. It had, I mean, I'm not going to say it's a, like a portable Dreamcast, but you could play Jet Set Radio, Space Channel 5, Choo Choo Rocket. I mean, all these games were playable on it, in a sense. Um but it was it was kind of a watered down version of Jet Set Radio. It was developed by Vicarious Visions and published by Sega and THQ. Um, and this is where it gets kind of funny and a little weird. It utilizes the same engine that Vicarious Visions used for their conversions of Tony Hawk Pro Skater. Uh oh. How weird is that? Yeah, it's pretty <laughs> so, weird. Like here we are just saying they're two different games, and we, they tapped a developer that made Tony Hawk Pro Skater on the GBA to make Jet Set Radio. Um, so it's a top-down isometric perspective using um, control, you know, like controls that were similar to the Sega one, the Dreamcast one, but simplified. 3D models representing the characters, but I'll be honest, they look like little boogers on the screen. They're so tiny. Like, yeah. if you're wondering what Beat looked like, it's like orange and brown you know yeah it um, was pretty bad graphically i also played the tony hawk uh pro skater one on the game boy advance but yeah it's kinda i mean it's surprisingly playable but um at least for me you hit a wall during the yo-yo race that's where you just you can't beat the game because it's it's so impossibly difficult that i've never beaten it um but there are two features on it which are not in any other version of the game in fact it the Game Boy Advance version of Jet Set Radio is something that no other Jet Set Radio game has done in that Professor K is a secret playable character, which is pretty crazy because I remember when I was at school, you know those, you know those... Uh, Fake rumors? Little rumors. Yeah, they said Professor K's playable in Dreamcast version. And I was like, no way. And they're like, yeah, his hair's huge and it like pulsates and he's the fastest character. That never happened. Don't listen to them. Don't uh, don't try to unlock it. <laughs> like, no. uh, try to figure it out. Yeah. No, no. So he's not there, but he is on the Game Boy Advance one. 
Uh, and it's also um, up to four player multiplayer is supported. Um, but it requires each player to have their own system and game pack. And I'm not sure... We might have hosted a stream not too long ago. I know that Bartman, he, he likes his multiplayer game. So he might have done that. I'm not sure. So uh, you have to find four people with uh, with this game, which is impossible. Yeah. And Game Boy Advances. Or I bet you could probably do it with like an emulator. Yeah, Game Boy Advances played- is probably easier. Have you played this version of the game? I played it a little bit, not that much. I have like uh, I have this uh, what do they call it? Uh, pirating pirating thing <sighs> that you could do the cartridge on the Game Boy Advance, and I kind of have the original Game Boy Advance, the the yeah. not the the one with the flip screen, the other one with a backlight. So sometimes I'll play games on it. I haven't played it in a long time, but I have it somewhere in my room. But uh, you know, I don't I don't support piracy, but if Jet Set Radio is like the one game you need to pirate because it's all about being bad and pirating and it's not like stuff. it's not like nintendo's making money <laughs> off game boy advance games i know i know it's, it's scalpers on goddamn ebay yeah right but, but it's i mean I, I i'd say it's out of all those other dreamcast games i mentioned choo choo rocket's the best it's it's a lot of fun um but yeah it's probably radio's the, not bad yeah it's probably the easiest one to port because of how easy the game was to yeah. i guess make and it also it, had like 150 levels, the Game Boy Advance one, right? Yeah, it was huge. And you could draw your own, uh, uh, what are they called? Kapu Kapu and what's the mouse called? I don't remember. Mouse, mouse. Um, <laughs> but you could draw your own sprites. And so I, I did one of, um, I think I did like Big the Cat and Froggy. I did some like Chows. Uh, I did like Pickles. I drew my wife. Uh, <laughs> shit there like that. Um, uh so, and then the other thing is we have the Sega Heritage release. This was released in 2012-2013 to the Xbox 360, PlayStation 3, PlayStation Vita, PC, iOS, which was unfortunately pulled from the store, and if you still have it, it just crashes, which kind of sucks, and Android, which I, I don't know how playable that is, if it works still. Um, what would you think about this? I, I thought it was a nice version. I played it on the... PS3 on PSN. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I thought it was a good version. It had widescreen support. It had, um, I guess they try to get the best tracks uh, of each version. This is the one I'm thinking about, right? The one they re-released after yeah, it's, the... This it's is after the like, Crazy Taxi stuff. Yeah, it's it's pretty much like De La Jet Set Radio. I think it has the same track list. I might be wrong, but I, I don't think it has cold. I don't think it has professional murder music, so I think you're good. Uh, um, but I feel like they really, like, the graphics really look nice in HD. I think this is probably one of the few games, like, you know, when you play other games, you're like, oh, textures need work. Like, as as uh, impactful as Shimu was, uh, it wasn't like Jet Set Radio, where you could just put it, like, like it just, there the textures were just kind of flat, you know, cartoon shaded. So I think it really looks nice in HD, very crisp. So I think uh, the jump really made a difference for the game. And that's with those flat colors, you know, that really helps it because it just, like you said, it just looks great in HD. Um, Would you say that people should play this version? This is probably like, if they play this version, is it a definitive version? If if they played any version, I'd say play this one. Okay. And uh, even if they change the names of your favorite characters? (laughs) Well... If, Alright, if you're going to play one version and you don't have a Dreamcast, play the Sega Heritage release. It's on a lot of platforms. But if you you know, really want to try the real original experience, 
buy a Dreamcast for 50 to 60 bucks, import the original Jet Set Radio, uh, get a boot disc, and enjoy, because... I mean, I don't know. That that was that's my preferred way to play. And uh, since we're talking about everything Jet Set Radio on this show, if you have a DreamEye camera, the file format that DreamEye uses is compatible with the Japanese version of the game. It's not compatible with the American one, and I don't think it's compatible with the European one, but it does work. So if you take pictures, you can upload them and use them in the game, which is pretty awesome. Before you could have done it, but you had to like upload it to a GeoCity site and then like uh, download it through the web browser. That's right. Yeah, and um, I mean, I'll admit it. I I did porn. I would go up there and graffiti porn all over the place. <laughs> of course, every, I think everybody did that. I mean, it was a novelty. Come on. No, but no other game had this. You had to take advantage of it. Yeah, and I mean, I remember there was a site, too, where, like you said, you could upload it, and you could see what other people uploaded. Everyone was uploading porn. Everyone. It, it was a hot. It was hot back then. <laughs> I mean, you know, I talked about music that it introduced me to. It also introduced me to some uh, some subcategories of porn that I've never heard of. Um, no. Uh, <laughs> some fetishes. Yeah, exactly. Um, uh, so, what, moving on to that. Media? Yeah, why don't you go through the movies list? I've been talking a lot. Oh, uh, okay. So these are the movies that were released in 2000 when Jet Set Radio came out. Uh, X-Men, Castaway, American Psycho, Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon, Memento, Snatch. Uh, which of these movies did you like, Barry? I would say Snatch and X-Men probably were my favorites. Do you remember watching X-Men when it came out? I did, yeah. I remember going to the theaters. I was really, really pumped for it. And I think it's it's funny. We're talking about a game 17 years ago now, and Logan is like the last Wolverine movie, and X-Men was his first. Like, that's... You know, I, I was thinking, oh man, I'm gonna miss Hugh Jackman. I wish he would do more movies. And here we are talking about Jet Set Radio, which is like a game that seems like old as dirt now when you compare it to, you know, where we've gone with gaming. Yeah. Logan... Wolverine is as old as Jet Set Radio. Well, at least the character that he's the character, the yeah. movie character. Yeah, yeah. I remember watching this movie. Me and my friend like took public transport to go watch it, and we thought we were so bad shit people because we we're like, yeah, we're, we don't need parents to come with us to watch a goddamn movie. And yeah. uh, I remember leaving the theater thinking, dude, we got an X Men movie in theaters. Like it's so bizarre because you know when X like. Having a big multi-million dollar flick based on comic book movies really didn't happen back then. So right. it was pretty amazing to me. I mean, it wasn't a perfect movie and I still had, you know, grips with it, but it was an entertaining yeah. enough flick. I know it's not oh, yeah. like the same as the comic book. He wasn't wearing the yellow spandex, but it was right. a great movie. A lot First of stylish time. movies released in 2000. I mean, Snatch, um, Memento. Memento, these were all... American Psycho, like they all played with kind of uh, editing techniques, and so you know, Memento I, I was know great. If... Oh yeah, yeah. I mean, I don't remember it, but I got a tattoo to remind me just how good it was. Don't believe his lies. Uh, no, Crouching no. Tiger was an, a really strange movie. It was like, I guess, East an Eastern movie that got really, really popular here because of the, I guess, directing and the landscapes I... and like the wire flying. Yeah, I feel like that's the movie that everyone's seen, but no one can remember it. So it's like Memento. 
for us because like I try to think of what what that movie's about. I'm like they run on trees. I remember that. Uh, it's like there's this love story and this girl's gonna kill herself and it's like it's very very uh, strange movie. Uh, the, and then of course, uh, Castaway is that movie that you have on VHS at your cabin. You know, like that's the movie that everyone, everybody, just everyone will just have. And it's like, oh, right, Grandma's house. Want to watch Castaway? Of course. Um, <laughs> it was a good movie too. Uh, was it Tom Hanks in that movie? Mm-hmm. And that, pretty much, that's it. That in in a ball. Yeah. Uh, and in <laughs> 2000, we had a lot of game sequels. So let's talk about some of the games that came out the same year. Uh, the Legend of Zelda: Majora's Mask. Tony Hawk Pro Skater 2, Banjo-Tooie, uh, Resident Evil Code Veronica, <laughs> 102 Dalmatians, <laughs> Puppies to the Rescue, uh, Fantavision, uh, uh, Fantasy Star Online, and Skies of Arcadia. Wow, the Dreamcast had a pretty big year that year, to be honest, because these are like some of my favorite games of all time right here. Um, yeah. Even Tony Hawk's Pro Skater came out on Dreamcast, and that was a good game. Um, yeah, yeah, and I mean, I didn't list a bunch of Dreamcast games here just because I wanted us to see what the competition were releasing. Yeah, uh, yeah. I, I think Fontavision. I mean, that's that's kind of like when I go to the grocery store and drink too much Fanta. That's me that. too. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. No, but I feel like, in terms of like different artistic games, I remember when that came out and everyone was like, "Oh man, Sony." They got a pretty cool game, and I'm like, yeah, we got Jet Set Radio. What are you talking about? Fireworks game. And <laughs> was it a good game? I felt like it turned out to not be that good. Uh, I've never played it. So that's why I'm saying. I was like, well, I don't know what this game's about, so I'm just looking at it. I did play, I guess, The Legend of Zelda. A lot of my friends back then were into The Legend of Zelda Nintendo 64 games. Uh-huh. I, I wasn't into it, and you know what? A lot of people are going to hate me. Uh, I, I think the last game that I really, really enjoyed, The Legend of Zelda franchise is a link to the past on the super nintendo but that's a good one yeah i think breath of the wild has a lot of the avenger adventure aspects of it uh uh-huh. the nintendo 64 games weren't that that bad it's just i didn't know nintendo 64 growing up i i was a sega saturn slash playstation guy if i had to play any games so right and then dreamcast I mean, obviously breath of the wild still a 10 out of 10 game for you right I don't want to talk about that. <laughs> okay. Uh, <laughs> I, I did throw 102 Dalmatians puppies to the rescue just because I thought it was funny. It was oh, one, of the se- one of the many sequels of 2000. That nobody expected. Like, uh, oh, they added one puppy into this. Oh, shit. Wow, is how bizarre an, is that? Is this it's an actual like, canon? Uh, <laughs> like, one so, under one? So what happened, I think what it is, is that 101 Dalmatians was that movie, right? And then they did a live action version and then i think they did on the live action version of 102 dalmatians which was never a cartoon and then they made a game about it but they used the cartoon characters so it's like this really weird situation where it's like it's a live action sequel made into a game with the animation characters and uh, it has a pretty good uh score online apparently nobody liked it but i I mean i remember them doing the 101 dalmatians Live action. Yeah. I don't know why they needed to do it live action. Uh, but yeah, and why yeah, we needed a game. <laughs> and it was one of those dream- games that released to the Dreamcast that was actually just like a shitty port. Oh yeah, there's and a lot of games that they try to do that. Just release like we could do a Sega talk on all the shitty ports, but I don't think anyone would listen to it. <laughs> exactly. Um, yeah. Any other games here that you played that weren't Dreamcast? Because I already know Skies of Arcadia and Fantasy Star Online are obvious. Yes. Oh, yes. Uh, Tony Hawk Pro Skater 2 I played. I love that game. That's really fun. Is that the one with Spider-Man in it? Yeah, and you can also build your own skate park. 
Yeah, that's really cool. Uh, Banjo-Tooie, I have uh, played recently when they re-released it. Code Veronica, I that was one of the first, I think, like M-rated games I bought as on my own. I've never completed it. I just found it to be too scary. <laughs> yeah, it's but the leap in like Resident Evil, like I played one, two, and then uh, I played a little bit of three. But I remember yeah. when this game came out, I'm like, whoa, this is way better than anything they've done in the other franchises. I mean, the other franchise titles. It was a nice leap graphically for sure. For and correct franchise. me if I'm wrong, but it was supposed to be a numbered sequel, but then Sony threatened to sue or something like that? It's like they had a contract where the main titles, they wanted them on, uh, on PlayStation. So uh, Resident Evil Nemesis became Resident Evil 3 Nemesis, and this became... Resident Evil Code Veronica, even though it's supposed to be Resident Evil 3. So it's, I don't really care, honestly. I, I think it probably sold better not having a number because Dreamcast fans didn't have to think they needed another game to understand the story. Because they kind of stand on their own, technically. Oh yeah, and uh, Code Veronica's, I remember at the time, it was one of those big titles that the Dreamcast got. Oh yeah, there was a lot of hype for it, uh, especially magazine and critical-wise. This is like the... I guess big time for Resident Evil, the franchise. I think it, it, for a while it was a little dormant after uh, four, but uh -huh. I think now with the seven, the seventh one, I think a lot of people are getting hyped for it again because it's reinvented itself. But I mean, this is pretty good games, and I think Jet Set Radio is one of the, I guess, original games that came out this era. A lot of sequels. Oh, for sure. For sure, it was a breath of fresh air after all these sequels, and I think, I think that was the point I was trying to make. And you know, uh, we're not done with Jet Set Radio on this show. We will be covering Jet Set Radio Future in the future. Yes. <laughs> uh, but um, I don't know anything else you want to say about the game before we get into the tweets from uh, the Twitterverse. Nope. Just go we're already going this one long, so go for the tweets. All right. Cool. Well. Uh, as as is tradition here on Sega Talk, we reach out to Twitter and ask people to share their thoughts on the game that we discussed. And so here's what you had to say. Uh, Moody, who is a writer for us, she said rad. I mean, yeah. That's all you need to know. Game. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> uh, Termi Funkman said, it's not just a game, it's a lifestyle. Jet Set Radio, I'm not going to yell. Um... Fard Muhammad said it was the first tune-shaded video game. The gameplay was unique and fun, and Naganuma is pure awesome. Everyone's tagging Naganuma on this. I love it. Uh, Falians said because Naganuma gave it the best soundtrack ever made. Uh, Riz Wood said it was literally a cornerstone of my childhood. Hadn't seen, played, or heard anything like it at the time or since. True classic. A lot of, lot of tweets for the soundtracks. We had Lewis Cox. He said it's a Sega game that outlines the pillars of hip-hop culture, rap, DJing, breakdancing, and graffiti. Smiley face with sunglasses. Uh, Jesse Onland said a wop bop a loo bop a wop bam boom. Well, Jesse, I think you'll find that that's actually a quote from Jet Set Radio Future. So, Bam. Um, well, this is a weird one. <laughs> Billy said, also love the music. White Zombie Ruled. Um, Facepalm. Uh, <laughs> it wasn't even White Rob, Zombie. 
I guess right white zombies on the soundtrack maybe I'm not a big fan Robbie said it was Sega at their best easy to pick up hard to master still looks and sounds like nothing out there possibly the best OST ever and well, let's do a few more uh, Jacob M said the music the colors the graphics the gameplay the characters the skates the art everything this game is so awesome and uh, finally let's let's end up with uh, Scotty Mo who says, I have such a love-hate relationship with this game, still has some of the best atmosphere slash characters ever, but man, those controls. Well, you know what, Scotty, you gotta learn to love them. Just like I've learned to love Jet Set Radio, so thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time. <laughs>